You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. It's me, Bex Elder, here behind the microphone once again. And me, Simon Glazier, behind a different microphone, but talking about the same topic. Which is always a good start, and this week the topic is starting a family. Simon, this topic falls into our life stages season, and last time we covered starting out, where you focused on having quite a spiritual mindset behind how we use money, and then you encouraged us to get to grips with budgeting. What are you going to be covering today? Within the topic of starting a family, I want to consider three different elements. So number one, joint finances. This is what happens when two people from different backgrounds, different upbringings with different ideas and values come together and try and live life together. Uh, Number two, children. Many couples choose to have children and they bring a unique raft of financial challenges And then number three, hybrid families. Now, this would be any other combination of family life. It might be second marriages, merging two families together, extended families, or when your parents, or actually even when your children, come back into your family in later life. Well, why don't you get us started with the first of those? I remember last season you mentioned about having joint finances Is it really as important as you made it out to be? Wouldn't it be okay to be married, but keep your financial affairs separate? I heard a phrase recently which really set the scene. You shouldn't get married unless you intend to stay married. And actually, to quote Gary Chapman again, I've quoted him before from his book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married, people do not get married planning to divorce. Divorce is the result of a lack of preparation for marriage and the failure to learn the skills of working together as teammates in an intimate relationship. And would I be right in thinking that managing money is one of those skills that needs to be learned in a marriage? No doubt about it. Money is hard to manage. Most people struggle. Money is also quite difficult to talk about. So when you put two people together who probably aren't great at managing money and probably aren't good at talking about money, it's unlikely to go swimmingly for the next 50 years without making some kind of effort. Money can be a huge blessing when handled wisely, but actually it can also be a bit of a curse if it's handled badly. In the lists of reasons why people get divorced, money always features and always features pretty high up. So taking some time and actually some effort to not only get to grips with managing your own money, but then making sure that you can manage money with your future spouse or your current spouse is an incredibly good way to strengthen your marriage. You want to spend time either before you get married or if you're already married and realizing you've never done this before, finding out how to develop like-minded financial goals and strategies We spoke about them in episode one. You also want to be in harmony with your spouse about how you handle your finances. You don't have to agree about everything, but you kind of do need to decide how to deal with those differences when they inevitably arise. 
This is starting to sound a little bit like marriage counselling, Simon. Are you sure you haven't strayed too far off topic? Alas, no. There are huge advantages to sharing your financial life with someone else. There's someone to give you perspective. There's someone to bounce ideas off, to hold you accountable to your decisions and choices, to share your worries with. But at the same time, there's someone else to have to make decisions with, to have to consult with or convince or or compromise with. Money can be quite divisive, but it can also bring incredible reward to family life if it's handled well. Often, there is one party within a marriage who is more comfortable handling money, but that doesn't mean they should do it all alone. Early in my marriage, my wife and I learned that whilst I was probably better at managing money, she was much better at using money. I would kind of tend to save it and never really spend it, but that is not a very healthy attitude. But nor is spending money without a thought for the consequences. You need to kind of find this right balance with how you use money, how much you give away, how how much you save and how you spend. And remember, the money that you save now is actually only a holding ground until one day in the future, you're going to spend it or give it away. So those future choices become part of today's decisions. And that is why you have to plan and plan together. So moving on then from family finance, from a couple's perspective, what about when children come along? How does that change things? So according to the money charity, it costs an average of £24.44 per day for a couple to raise a child from birth to age 18, although actually it rises to £29.50, about 20% higher for a single parent. Now that's almost £9,000 a year per child or £160,000 through to age 18. And as many parents of adult children know, the cost doesn't necessarily stop just because they reach age 18. The point is this, you're unlikely to want to have children because you think it's the financially optimal thing to do, at least from a personal perspective. It is going to cost you time, effort, and money, and sleepless nights, and future heartache, and many, many more issues. And yet, people still choose to have children. In fact, they choose to have more than one child quite often. And at quite a decent rate, there is more than one child a minute born in the UK. So there must be some good reason for it. If you have, or if you want to have children, then it is definitely going to impact your financial position. You're going to have to add things like nappies and clothes and toys to your budget. And that's all just the short-term stuff. If you're being very organized, you might want to start setting aside money for things like nursery fees or private education or university or a deposit for a house, who knows what. Remember, the sooner you start setting money aside, the power of compounding of growth year on year on year makes a huge difference to the eventual outcome. However, there is another approach, which is simply to kind of absorb the cost of children into your monthly budget. If you have sufficient surplus, which you'll know about because you've done your budget, or if you're prepared to reduce certain expenses, 
maybe less meals out and actually you'll have less opportunity to have meals out or trips to the cinema when you've got kids, then you might manage without putting any savings aside. So what do you think about saving or investing money in your child's name and how might you go about doing that? There are a number of different options of how you might go about doing that. Depends on what the outcome is you're trying to achieve. If your goal is to put money aside on a regular basis so that there are funds in the future to pay for an expense like an education, like a wedding, help them buy a car or put a deposit down on a house, then for most people, actually investing in your own name is the best way to go. Many investment platforms, and we'll cover investment platforms later on in season three, they'll allow you to open a separate ISA or general investment account, which again, we'll cover in season three. Now that means that you can have investments in your own name, but these are investments which you have ring-fenced, set aside for your children. Now the advantage is this, you can choose in the future when and if to give that money to your children. Now, there are some slight drawbacks in terms of inheritance tax planning, but that actually won't affect most people. So that's investing in your own name for the child. The main alternative is to invest in the child's name. And if you're going to do that, probably you want to consider a junior ISA, a JISA. Now here, a parent or a grandparent, or in fact, technically anybody, can invest in that junior ISA for the child. And the maximum you can put in is £9,000 per year into the child's ISA, wherever it comes from. Now, the parent or the legal guardian will manage that investment. And then when the child reaches age 18, it will become a normal ISA in their own name. Now, actually, in Scotland, at age 16, the child takes control of it, but it's still a junior ISA till age 18. Now, the advantage here is that the money is always ring-fenced for the child. It is their money in their name. It won't affect the parent's financial affairs at all. The big downside, however, is that it is impossible to predict whether that child will be mature enough to handle a lump sum of money and make good decisions when they reach age 18. But you'll have no other choice but to give it to them. It will be their money. You can't hold it back. So invest in your name for them or invest in their name. There are a couple of other options. You can put money into a pension for a child. Now, this is deeply boring, incredibly sensible from the parent or grandparent's point of view, but the child actually can't get their hands on the money until they're something like age 60. But the child will get tax relief on that investment as the child will still receive tax relief on money put into the pension. And we'll be covering pensions pretty early on in season three. True. It's not a very exciting thing for the child, as they won't be able to access the money until they're at least 55 years old, and actually probably more like 60 by the time they get to that age. Now, finally, if there's quite a large amount of money at stake, perhaps an inheritance from a a grandparent or a relative, or from the sale of a business that does happen from time to time in some families, then it's well worth getting advice and considering a trust. Now, this allows you to invest money, which the child will eventually receive, but they don't need to have the right to inherit it at age 18. You can control at what age you give it to them. 
Now, trusts can be complex and expensive, or actually they can be simple and quite effectively free, but you need to get professional advice to be able to understand the implications. So you touched there on when and if it's right to give money to a child or children. What are the other issues that parents need to be aware of when it comes to financial planning in a family setting? Okay, you absolutely must ensure that you have wills in place and that they're up to date. Sad as it is, parents can die young due to accident or illness, and a will is essential to ensure that the family are cared for once you're gone, taking away a lot of stress in that circumstance. Now, on that topic, and thinking back to season one, consider what would happen to your family's finances if you weren't around anymore. Is there a need for life insurance, income protection, or critical illness insurance? No one really wants these things, but it can be a price well worth paying for the future protection of your family. After that, I would say a power of attorney. Now, this is useful for anybody who has property, even their own home, or pension or investments. Because in the event of incapacity, now that's where you can no longer make your own financial decisions, again, due to accident or illness, then a trusted friend, and it can be your spouse or a relative, can step in and make those decisions for you. And then finally, and this one's a bit more difficult sometimes, I would strongly encourage you to talk to your children about money about budgeting, about how much you earn and how much things cost. Too many young people leave school or university with very little awareness of the financial world. And that is what can cause them to get into trouble with debt, with loans, with credit cards. This topic isn't really taught at school. Actually, the Personal Finance Society, the body which I'm part of, does offer a number of courses for older school-aged children, and it's delivered by local financial advisors. That all sounds very sensible, and it sounds like there are a lot of decisions for parents to make throughout the lives of their children. To finish off, though, what are the issues particular to those hybrid families that you described? The second marriage, merging families, multi-generational families, etc.? Of course, it's worth saying every situation is different. And in some cases, you will need special guidance. But here are some thoughts that might ring true in your circumstance. So communication is critical. That's not true in hybrid families. That's true in all families. But it's often more difficult in these situations. If you're joining two families together, then it's similar but more complicated than when you're joining two people together in a marriage. You will come to the family relationship with different expectations and priorities and goals and behaviors, as will the other parties. It's not wrong that these differences exist. They are a normal part of life, but they need to be recognized, discussed, and ideally harmonized. Otherwise, they become a fault line over time that gets bigger and bigger and more dangerous within the relationship. So again, take the bull by the horns and communicate, talk about money. I suggested earlier talking to your children about money. This gets much harder the older they get. Teenagers aren't as receptive to your wisdom as primary age children, for example. They're trying to create their own identities, disassociating themselves from the ideas of their parents and certainly from step-parents in my experience. It's quite normal. Therefore, consider, is there somebody else rather than you, rather than the parent, 
who is better placed to share some financial wisdom, a trusted friend, an aunt or an uncle might be given more consideration by children at that stage in life. And then we have the topic of elderly parents. If you have parents who are struggling to live by themselves, perhaps coping with bereavement of, of their spouse or deteriorating health, trying to have conversations about money can be nigh on impossible. If you have ever been in that position, then remember how hard it is and promise not to do the same to your children when you are older. Talk to them openly about money. It will save everyone a lot of grief in the future. They aren't after your money like the prodigal son. They do have your best intentions at heart. And then it's also worth knowing about something called a deed of variation, a deed of variation. Now, this allows you to change the will of someone who has died up to two years after the date of their death. So an example of when you might want to do this. Imagine your parents haven't updated their wills for many years, which is not uncommon, or where you think, I don't need to inherit this money from my parents. I prefer to pass it down to the next generation, to my children. And there can be some tax advantages in doing that when the estate is quite large. A deed of variation is an arrangement where all the adult beneficiaries of the estate agree to change it posthumously after death to get the right outcome that suits everybody. So you don't always have to discuss and agree changing wills with your parents. You can wait actually until they've passed away and then rearrange things. And our final little word here, Bex, this one's quite tough actually. It's about fairness. It's something that comes up with just about every family I ever give advice to. Most parents will say, I want to be fair to my children. And this usually means that they want to give their children the same, whether it's the same education or the same opportunities or the same gift or inheritance. Now, know this. It is impossible to be fair in the eyes of all parties. Imagine this scenario, perhaps one that I might face in the future with my children. Child one grows up, remains single, establishes a great career, has a big house and is very wealthy, but not living the values that I think he should be living. Child number two gets married, has four children, is working for the minimum wage and is struggling to get by financially. And child number three, well, she becomes a missionary and moves overseas and spends every penny she has on those in need. Now, how do I go about being fair when it comes to supporting my children or leaving them an inheritance? Should I give them all the same? Or should I focus my generosity where I think it will do most good? Now, actually, I'm not going to give you an answer to that one. I just want you to know that you may face impossible choices like I might from time to time. The best we can do is discuss them with those that we need to, make a decision, perhaps even write it down if you need to. And if you can, I'm going to slightly misquote here from the Bible, Proverbs 22, verse 6, teach your children while they are young, and they will not disagree with you when you're older. Thanks so much for those insights, Simon. I'm sure that we will have thrown up all sorts of questions, some of which might be covered as we work our way through the rest of seasons two and three. 
If you're listening to this in the months or years after we first published it, then please do take a look at our back catalogue or topics and see what you can find. But if you do have questions you'd like us to cover in a future episode, then as always, you can email us at whereyourtreasureis at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. Thanks so much for your questioning there, Bex. I just hope we've done this week's topic some justice. Don't worry, Simon. I'm sure if we haven't, then our listeners will let us know. That's all for this week. We hope you'll listen in to our next episode, which will either be Life Stage 3, your first job, if you're working your way through Season 2, or your longest holiday, which is our next Season 3 episode, all about pensions, my favourite topic, and that's due to be released next week. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.